being a professional musician or a professional composer, in some ways, it takes the kind of obsession where you can't really imagine yourself doing anything else. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Today, we've got an incredible episode with Ravi Krishnaswamy. Ravi is a commercial composer, and we talk all about his path to where he is today, his challenges in college, his time as a studio assistant, his work writing jingles, some of which have appeared in Super Bowl commercials and for really popular video games. And we'll talk about his passion projects like the solo album that he just put out. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsor, General Assembly. They're an incredible organization with campuses all across the country. You can take classes to really up your skill level. If you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get 15% off any workshop or class. So check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's start the show. Ravi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about what you do. I know you're a commercial composer and you do a lot for TV and commercials and video games, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so my background working professionally as a composer is jingle writing, writing for ads. And I um, uh, I started out working for a jingle house, started my own company uh, about nine years ago. And after starting my own company, we started to shift more and more into to work for gaming clients. It, it started with a project for Fallout 3, believe it or not, uh, back in 2007 or 2008, and, and doing these 50-style jingles that were going to exist as part of the campaign. And we developed a relationship with Bethesda, who they're a really terrific publisher of a lot of you know, pretty big time games and yeah, Fallout is one of the biggest games out there. Yeah, so we so we've actually done a lot of work in the last five years in in game trailers and um, in game music uh, songs that that exist in both games and trailers. And um, so it's a it's a strange little corner of the business, but um, it's been really fun and creative and and. Uh, a lot more sane uh, than working in advertising in some ways. I only realized this recently or remembered it recently, but when I was a kid, I definitely wanted to write jingles. <laughs> um, so I'm getting a little, there's a little envy here in, um, in, in, in my hearing about your, your life. Um, I remember watching Full House and I think it was, was it Joey? Or, yeah. yeah, was the uh, <laughs> the jingle writer, um, and I would you know I'd be like in the corners of my house, like recording into mics and singing little songs and stuff like that. I'd love to hear from you though, what your earliest music memory was, and when you started to kind of get these ditties in your head and and want to get them out. <laughs> well, I I never would have predicted being a jingle writer, to be honest. And I should say, just a note on, on you know, the how jingle writers are portrayed <laughs> on TV shows. They're always, like, super successful and confident and calm. And they, they don't, you know, no worries in the world. The next project's coming along. I've been doing this, you know, 20, almost 20 years. And I'm still constantly thinking, you know, is 
is this good enough? Am I going to get the next project? You know, have, where am I going to be in a, a year or five years? It never ends that, that sort of feeling of, you know, am I making it? You never feel like you've made it as a jingle writer. There's no Beyonce moment in the, uh, in the jingle world <laughs> where you're just that superstar <laughs> level and it's like you can kick back and, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you could do that for, for a month or two and then, and then the phone dies down and you're like, uh, you know, you're back to square one. Wow. But, <laughs> you know, to, to get back to your, your uh, other question, I think, you know, my musical background was, you know, grow, growing up, I learned piano. It was very important to my mom. She's a, a really good piano player and didn't grow up in the kind of uh, economic situation where she could take that forward in her life. So she switched gears and went into teaching and but it was always really important to us, to her, that we we get a musical education in addition to our education. And and so I learned piano. I learned violin in school. Um, my dad was uh, from South India. And um, so my parents used to take us to South Indian Carnatic concerts. Um, What's uh What's Carnatic music? Carnatic music is the it's the classical uh, musical tradition of South India. It's very it's similar to North Indian classical music in some ways, but the instrumentation is a little different. The the scales and the the there's a unique system um, in South India. Um, and so I grew up listening to that. I grew up listening to the the Indian public access channel on the weekends, which had Bollywood tunes. Um, I grew up listening to Billy Joel and, you know, Hall and Oates. So these are like people that my older brother was listening to when I was growing up. And then I started to develop my own, um, you know, interest in, in bands and, and that sort of thing. And so I had a pretty wide um, range of, of listening, you know, cl- classical music, obviously, through, through learning piano and through playing in, in school orchestra Um and I think, you know, I think that benefited me later on having such an early exposure to different systems of, of music at the same time and sort of seeing that it's, you know, that there's a, a wide world out there and that there, there are concepts that, you know, sort of transfer from, from culture to culture. Yeah, because now in your job, you have to, you have to switch perspectives of the music you're creating and the kinds of outputs you're creating I'm sure it's multiple times in a single day sure and there's like a lot of it's it's almost like like method acting it's like okay this week I'm going to be a um, jazz writer from the 30s (laughs) and next week I'm going to be um, you know uh, a film composer from you know, the sixties, uh, because so much of music for media is driven by, by references and by understanding the headspace that goes into making a certain piece of music, you have to kind of like do a deep dive into whatever that, you know, the genre is you're working on and understand how it works. And then, um, and then try to reproduce that in your own voice. Can you just run through maybe some of your clients or some of the commercials that you've worked on that listeners may be more familiar with? Uh, in the gaming world, listeners uh, who have encountered Wolfenstein, The New Order, there's an entire soundtrack of 60s uh, rock and roll in German, and I worked on that along with other writers 
Jolly Ranchers is something that we're working on right now at my company, and we've done a lot of these little um, little promos for them that involve the little fruit characters, and my voice is the cherries. I did a Super Bowl commercial in 2006 or seven for Cadillac, and that was probably one of the highlights of my advertising career so far because it was a 60-second spot for a new a new Escalade and uh, a really interesting piece of music with a really interesting piece of visuals, no voiceover cluttering up the music and went right, you know, went on right in the middle of the, uh, the game. And, you know, it was getting calls and texts from everybody. (laughs) So uh, talk about having an audience for your music. I mean, nobody knew it was me. I mean, if they didn't know me, but still what a great audience. Uh, on a tangent, my I think I think my favorite moment of somebody discovering music that I've written is um, a couple years ago, Iggy Pop. Uh, he did a radio show on the BBC. He's done radio shows on the BBC regularly, and he did a show on German rock and roll. And he played a song from the Wolfenstein soundtrack that I had co-written. Whoa! Uh, by this fictional like Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons kind of vocal group called Victor and Die Vocalisten, called the uh, Berlin Boys and Stuttgart Girls, and talked about it very convincingly as if it was really a band from the 60s that he had discovered. And we, we fooled him. <laughs> he, he was fooled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's go back to high school. So you, you were really getting into music. You loved it. Um, you started playing in bands and then you go off to college and Mm -hmm. you're studying engineering. Mm -hmm. So what kind of held you back from pursuing music in college? And then I know in the middle of college, you faced several challenges and I'd like to hear Mm -hmm. about kind of what happened during that time that made you ultimately switch your focus and go all in on music. Yeah. The, you know, heading into college, my musical activity beyond piano and violin had been buying a four track and just sort of hiding in my room and writing terrible, terrible songs about why I was upset about life, you know, as a 17 year old in in a suburban house. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, just, you know, writing all the parts myself, singing it all, uh, putting it together, not sharing it with anybody. I was I was a really good math student, and really good math students are told to go to engineering school. And I, I thought, you know, music technology had had always fascinated me. You know, making sounds, you know, using a cassette four track and 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 creating a piece of music was a lot of fun to me. So I thought maybe if I followed an electrical engineering path, I could work my way into the technology side of music and, and sort of feed my passion that way. I got to college. I got, I was at UVA at the engineering school and I was just, uh, I was, you know, a mediocre engineering student. I'd gone from being the, you know, the top math student in a, in my small high school to now being like the guy in the Calc three that is like hoping someone can show him the homework assignment because, you know, I had no idea what I was doing at that point. But I started a band in in college called Charming and we ended up 
putting out three records and and really being a band for over 10 years and that was just the the sort of the, the first time i really felt like confident in doing anything as an adult was being in the room with those other musicians and sort of bringing a song to them and and kind of working out the parts and and telling the drummer to do this not not that i was a dictator you know it was a it was a very collaborative band but i felt very confident as a musical director in that situation i think you know as as you mentioned i had uh, my second year of college my father passed away and i was diagnosed with cancer like the day i got back from his funeral essentially and my life was you know upended and it would be another 8 months before i was really back on my feet uh you i'm know, so sorry you went through that through, you know uh, well yeah i you know I'm here and I survived it and, and I had great care at, at, at the UVA Medical Center at, at Sloan Kettering. Yep. Um, you know, three surgeries, um, you know, four months of chemotherapy. I, I got back to college. I was 20 pounds underweight and bald and nobody recognized me. Uh, but I got the band back together and started playing again. And um, I think... I think that was such a definitive moment at a, at a you know at an age where you know that might really change your outlook forever you know I was 19 years old and and when I got back to town um I had missed being in college so much that when I got back I was just really grateful to be there and really wanted to make the most of it and to me at that moment it meant like well what classes do i really want to take what do i really want to learn now and i didn't you know i didn't feel like engineering was was i, I felt like it was not you know I, i didn't feel connected to the people in those classes that you know i felt connected to to my friends in the band and and so i i followed that and i you know i felt kind of free to say well i'm going to study english and music and and you know take poetry writing classes with Charles Wright and um Greg Orr who changed my way of thinking about words on the page and forever you know taught me how to think about writing as a craft and not just a thing you do to get words into your song um and i'm going to take you know ethnomusicology classes um and learn how to write about music from other cultures and and develop a vocabulary of talking about music um that could allow me to speak to clients later on in advertising. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor General Assembly, but actually this week I want you to hear about General Assembly from my friend Sarah Beth who actually went through their program and changed her career. So, let's hear from Sarah. General Assembly provided an accessible way to take courses while I was still working full time. So I took a weekend course um every Saturday for about 10 weeks and I studied user experience design. Uh, we covered subjects from research to communicating flows through diagrams and other deliverables that would help communicate the user experience potential for software or app design. Cool. And what's your job now? Now I'm working at Lending Club as a product designer. 
product design incorporates user experience design. It also has a layer of um, user interface design in addition to service design and some other layers. I'm interested in taking a data science class next, actually. I think it would really help my work now as a product designer to really understand more deeply how the data is influencing our direction. So if you're like Sarah and you've been in that situation where you need to upgrade your skills and you're looking for a change, check out General Assembly. Use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout and you'll get 15% off any workshop or class. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Let's get back to the show. At what point in college did you realize you were accruing all these skills that could actually put you in a career path? Oh, I, I, had, I had no idea that, that any of this stuff was going to be useful. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I really I, I wanted a job with, with health insurance, and, um, and I wanted a job that was somewhat in, involved in music because mu- I knew music was what I was most interested in. It was my passion. But beyond that, I had no idea that I'd be doing this. In fact, I remember interviewing at Sacred Noise, the Jingle House, um, that I started working at and the creative director and co-owner asked me, you know, sort of straight up, well, where, you know, where do you see yourself? What do you, you know, what would you like to be doing if you stayed here and, and, and were successful? Would you want to be a composer or something else? And I said, I don't think I'd want to be a composer, but I'd love to be an engineer. I'd love to mix, you know, <laughs> you know, help with the recording section sessions and mix, mix the tracks, but I don't really see myself writing. Um, who knew? And it was only, you know, I started there in like the August after I graduated and it was October that I won my first commercial and I'd, I'd gotten uh, an opportunity to to submit a demo on a really high pressure um, job for the U.S. Army where we were competing against three other music houses and three rounds into demos and nothing, the client hadn't heard anything they liked yet and um, the guys at the studio knew that I kind of knew my way around and they asked me, Hey, you want to try something on this? I said, sure. So I thought, I thought, well, that's cool. I got really lucky. And, um, and of course, if you're successful, you at least get more opportunities. And so I was given more opportunities and I was, and then winning more opportunities. Um, I won a big car campaign soon after the army, uh, the car campaign was for Pontiac and mind you, I was still working my official job there, so I would work all day as a studio assistant, and then I would they would give me opportunities to write, and so I would stay after everybody left and write at night, which is great if you're you know 22 years old and you know you're unmarried and you have nothing better to do with your time, you know, sure, <laughs> work you know 70 hours a week, um, but the. The Pontiac campaign was kind of a pivotal moment because we had a big presentation and the the whole team was flying in from Detroit to hear the music. And I slept through my alarm the morning they came in for the the, the meeting. I like I got like a panicked call from from the guys. They're like, you know, where are you? They, they, they're here. Um, you're supposed to be here. And it was just because I had been, you know, working so many late nights, um, for so many weeks on this project that, you know, I had nothing left. And that's when I said, you know, maybe, 
if I'm going to keep writing on things, if you want me to keep writing on things, maybe we should hire somebody to do my day job. <laughs> <laughs> did you make it to that meeting? And did were they receptive to this idea that, hey, if you want me to show up for the meetings, I'm going to need some sleep. And I think one job at a time is enough. Yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was the moment when they hired, when we hired somebody to take my old job, that's when I sort of officially became a, a junior composer. So how long did you stay there before you you decide to leave and and why what kind of gave you that push to go out on your own i was there 10 years and it was a it was a great run and i i learned a ton in that environment of working with other composers and uh learning from what they did and exchanging ideas um and being in a studio in new york city and having clients come to me all the time um, was great. It really trained me to sort of understand how to talk to clients in person and, and, um, that part of the business. Cause there's the writing part and then there's the whole, you know, taking care of your clients and, and understanding their needs and just communicating with them. And so it was a great, it was a great run and the business there started to shift and I could tell that things were tightening up it was going to be harder for me to keep getting a steady stream of work there. And at the same time, Jason, my producer, um, we had been really um, interested in, in pursuing more of this gaming work after we'd, we'd worked on, we worked on Fallout 3 at the old company. And that was a job that, that was a project that came in through, you know, a relationship that I had. And I think that was the moment where we decided let's have our own thing so that we can kind of go after this work and, and build it, uh, build these relationships and, and own these relationships. And I think, I think in, in a service business, you get to a certain point in your career where, where it makes sense to do that, where you don't need someone else. You don't really want someone else feeding you work forever. You really do want to start to develop your own stream. It's wonderful to hear. And, when I sit across from you and I look at your career today, it looks like someone who is putting together this kind of very happiness-oriented um, <laughs> pie of, of things. You have your work at Copilot. You are in a tribute band for the Smiths. Mm -hmm. You teach in Vermont, and you just put out an album under the name Hybrid, um, a really fun pop album that I really enjoyed. How do you approach all these things that you love doing? How do you find the time for them? And um, I guess what creatively is bringing you the most satisfaction over these past couple of years? Well, I mean, I, I will say that it is really challenging, particularly having a family. Um, uh, you know, I have a seven-year-old daughter now, and, um, and my, my wife works full-time. Um, and I'm very much, you know, involved as a parent and, and because my studio is at home now and has been for, um, you know, a good five years since I left New York city, you know, I'm kind of the, you know, I'm often the more flexible parent. And so managing all of this stuff along with being a full-time parent is, no joke, <laughs> but, um, but running your own company certainly helps because it gives you a lot more, um, flexibility than if you had to 
show up somewhere every day and you know I don't I don't have meetings that just waste my time because it's just me and Jason and then we have a team of people that we bring into projects and we we spend the time we want to spend you know working and we don't you know just try to um show up for the sake of showing up so it gives us both a lot lot of flexibility to to do other things he's very busy right now as the president of an organization called AMP, which represents the major jingle companies in the industry. And and so he's taken on a lot of leadership that way. And so for me, having the Sons and Heirs and Vermont College of Fine Arts um, and my own record, it's all built upon the flexibility of being a, a business owner and thinking creatively about your schedule in terms of like fitting stuff in when you're quiet on projects and then pushing stuff off when you're busy on projects and, and sort of managing that flow. And there's a certain, you know, it it takes a lot of mental energy. I, there's a certain, I think, ease of, you know, knowing you can just show up at a job and then leave at the end of the day. And, and my life isn't spent like that. My life is thinking about like, okay, well today I'm busy at work. So I've got to focus on these projects. Okay. Tomorrow I'm quiet at work so I can actually get a little bit of work done on my record or I can, I can uh, chat with the student that I'm working with. But I think, I think if you're looking for a career in the arts and in music, that's, this is kind of what it looks like now is, is putting it together, putting a few things together. One of the best things about teaching is that it's really sort of created a lot of strong new relationships um, and allowed me to enter a phase in my career where I get to mentor and mold composers and in, in, and pass along some of the, the wisdom that I've learned over the years. Yeah, I want to hear about, you talked about making sure students kind of have this creative fire that's, mm-hmm. that's pushing them. Where does that creative fire come from for you? Music has always seemed like a playground to me that I wanted to play in, you know? And, and I think that I've heard other people say this. It's, it's sort of like being a professional musician or a professional composer in some ways it takes the kind of obsession where you can't really imagine yourself doing anything else because as soon as it, cause if you can imagine yourself doing something else, that, that other thing is probably easier to do. It, the, this is not an easy, there, there's not, there's no guarantees, you know, that if you have, musical ability and chops that you're going to have a career. You have to constantly fight for it every, every day, fight for every dollar in your budget. People want music to be free. Nobody wants to pay for music. Um, so you, you've got to fight for it and somehow figure it out. And that's very challenging. And, and, and so I just can't, you know, for as long as I can remember now, I can't really, you know, imagine doing anything else. So I have to do this. Ravi, it's been so nice having you on the show. Thank you so much for for joining. It's been a blast. Thank you. Okay, that was the conversation with Ravi. Ravi, thank you so much for joining the show and being so open about your path. I hope you guys learned a ton. I did for sure. And if you want to learn more about Ravi and his company, check out copilotmusic.com. Special thanks to General Assembly, our sponsor. Go to ga.co.com 
And if you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you can get 15% off any workshop or class. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Thanks so much to our listeners and supporters and friends and family. I can't thank you guys enough. And if you're liking what you hear on Making Ways, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review. It's a wonderful way for more people to learn about the show. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. We've got intro music by The Sandworms, and we've also got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix. For each episode, I do an illustration and an article that kind of goes beyond the episode to offer insights from our guests that really you can use practically in your career and in your life. So you can learn more about all of that good stuff at makingways.co. You can also read our articles on Medium at medium.com backslash makingways. And you can follow along with us on Twitter at making underscore ways. Thanks so much, guys, and have a great week.